Hey, I'm Dustin, and I'm here with my good friend, Marco. Hola, like church. <laughs> hey, like church. I'm Dustin, and I'm here with my good friend, Marco. Hola, like church. And we're continuing on in our series, God's Top Ten, where today we're discussing God's number six, which is thou shall not kill. No te mata. Hey, what's up? Don't. How's it going? Oh, hey. What are you doing? Who's uh, this guy? Well, uh, this is Marco. What? Hola. Hi, Marco. Well, you see, I, I had to replace you. What? See, no offense, but your English is a little broken. <laughs> and my friend Marco here speaks perfect English. So, Marco, why don't you go ahead and say something to him? Yeah, man. I'm sorry you can't speak in English. Well, you seem very, very upset right now, and... Well, obviously, I mean, we've been doing this together from the beginning. I've been getting a lot of comments about how well I speak English. That maybe, maybe you had too much coffee today. Yeah. You need to chill. You sound even weird when you talk. <laughs> I mean... Do, do you... Let me ask you what? this. I nobody loves your fake accent. <laughs> I are you so angry that you want to kill me right now? No, 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 no. I'm not gonna kill you. I mean, are you trying to kill me? You're hey, trying man. to take my. What are you thinking? Huh? What are you thinking? We're trying to work in here. I can hear him perfectly. Um, but you know, today we're we're talking about thou shall not kill or murder. Yeah, and this guy's trying Whoa. to kill me, taking my person, my identity. I don't like the way you just point your hand at me like that. All right, well, here's the thing. Now those are fighting words. Here's the thing. Anger can make you do a lot of things, a lot of silly things. And if it means that much to our friendship, I don't want you to to want to kill me. I'm sorry, Marco, you're fired. Hey, you can't fire me. I'm Marco. <laughs> Sorry. Um, your friendship is important to me, and you know it's really important to me. And even though I was was kind of trying something out here with with Marco number two, I um, mean, no, no, no. You can even call it Marco. What is your real listen, name? There's what nothing is your but real name? You gotta go, man. I'm sorry. Um, Please. You were good. You were good. Don't touch me. Nobody likes you fake accent, okay? I'm out of here. I'm done with you guys. You killed me. Pull your notes out for today's message or your device, whatever you use. It's good to have all of you here today. And we're in a series, as uh, was mentioned in the video, that we've called God's Top 10 Tips for a Great Life. You got to keep the great life part of that. Uh, at, at your focus because you know advice isn't always easy to take right but if you know the end of the advice that the end of the advice is good then it's easier to take the advice right and that's kind of what the Ten Commandments are they're they're God's advice for us on how to live a life that is more blessed and uh, and so we accept it on the level of uh, of God's advice or direction for how we can live a great 
life. And as was mentioned in the video today, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the sixth commandment, which says, you must not murder. The King James Version of the Bible, which is the version I was brought up with, probably many of you as well, says, thou shalt not kill. And that's the way I've always, uh, you know, I've always uh, thought of this particular commandment, thou shalt not kill. But I think it's probably one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible, this one right here. And so I want to bring some understanding to it. To do that, I want us to see what God is really telling us about the subject of killing. And you've got to keep in mind what I shared with you last week about how the Ten Commandments are divided into two groups. That Commandments 1 through 4 are dealing with our relationship with God. Commandments 5 through 10, the, the bottom six, are dealing with our relationship in society and with one another uh, in the body of Christ. So it's the developing of right relationships among us. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this. The first thing that I want to share with you today is this, that God expects us to honor life. And I'm going to explain to you why that is. In, in Matthew chapter 22, we are told about a time that Jesus confronted a group of Jewish leaders by the name of Sadducees about the resurrection of the dead. You need to know about the Sadducees that they were a religious sect S-E-C-T, uh, within the Jewish community that did not believe in the resurrection. And Jesus confronted their unbelief by telling them that they did not understand the power and the plan of God, and because of that, they were in great error. Their belief was, in it was sincerely held, but it was wrong. How many of you know that you can believe something and be sincerely and be sincere about it but be sincerely wrong all right so just because you hold to something or a friend of yours believes something sincerely does not mean that that friend is correct or necessarily that you are correct the word of god is our is our established forum for truth and we take truth from that not what pop culture says not what the supreme court says not what even anybody else says. It's God's word is truth to us. So Jesus made it clear to them that they were in grave error because they did not know the power of God or the plan of God. He made it clear in his dialogue with them that God had the power of life to overcome death. In fact, he was very emphatic about this, and he said in verse number 32, he is the God of the living, not the dead. In other words, all those that are his are alive. They're all alive, and they're always alive. And when laying down the provisions of the Old Testament law, Moses challenged the people of Israel to make sure that they obeyed the law of God, they chose the law of God for their life because he said these choices of, the, of obeying God will bring life and blessing to you. He said in verse number, or ch chapter 30 of book, book of Deuteronomy, verse number 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make 
And then he puts out this plea to the people, oh, that you would choose life so that you and your children might live. You, that you may transmit a culture of life all the way down through your descendants. Because every single one of us are affecting the generations behind us. We, we may say it's my life and I can do what I want with my life. That is fundamentally true. God gives you the choice to do that. You do not have the choice as to the consequences of your choices or the effect it may have on other people. Because as they say, no man is an island. Every one of us affects other people, especially people who love us. And so he says, choose life so that you might have a positive effect upon all who love you. So from this, we understand that God is a God of life, and he calls, calls on all of us to make choices that embrace life. Sin embraces death. Sin produces death. But God overcame the death curse by sending Jesus to the cross to become, the Bible says, a curse in our place. He took the curse of death upon him. By dying on the cross, we now have life, if indeed we have him as Savior and Lord. So if you make him your Savior by asking him to forgive your sins, and you make him your Lord by saying, I will follow you, you now can have confidence that physical death, while we all grow old and die physically, it is not the end of the story for the believer. The Apostle Paul put, put it this way, so beautifully, 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. What this teaches us is that the very essence of God is life. He is the originator of it. Life flows from Jesus. Death is the result of sin. Romans 6.23 is, I mean, so perfectly states what I'm saying. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin produces death, but God produces life. So one of the ways that we honor God is by honoring life itself and declaring the value and the dignity to all that God has created. There is value, there is dignity to everything that God has created that is alive. That means that life is to be honored and death is to be opposed. And that has been a bedrock, that has been a foundational belief that has established the civilized world for centuries. We have understood that death is engaged in only as a last resort, not as a first consequence. One of the reasons that groups like ISIS and other terror groups in the world repulse us so much is because they stand in opposition to life. 
They say that we are repulsed by them because of our fear of death. But it's not a matter of a fear of death. It's a matter of honoring the things that God honors. Does that make sense? We honor what God honors. So we as Christians stand in opposition to uh, flippant death, to easy death. We stand in opposition to philosophies of life that bring about an easy end of life in death. God honors life because it is an expression of his nature. We honor life as a way of honoring the God who created all life. So when God says to us, do not kill, he is telling us, first of all, to value life as he values it, as an extension of his nature and of his character. So this you have to know. When God says, do not kill, thou shalt not kill, he is saying it is by very nature to bring life. Everything I touch comes to life. Therefore, honor life. That's the bedrock of how we have to live our lives. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, having said that, brings up the second point. Is it ever right to kill? Because life is what we honor. Is it ever right to kill? So if you interpret the word kill in the King James Bible to mean any kind of killing, then the answer to that question would be no. It is never right to kill. Not anyone, not anything. Thou shalt not kill. Period. That's it. So my wife is in big trouble because she called the bug man. And the bug man came out to the house and he sprayed his juice. And that juice, uh, it, that juice obviously killed a lot of bugs. I'm glad I didn't call the bug man. But if we interpret the sixth commandment so narrowly to believe that all killing is wrong, we are left with a real dilemma. Uh, would, it, would that mean that killing of animals for food is wrong? Now, there are some who would say, yes, it includes animals. Would it mean that killing in war is wrong? And again, some would say, yes, we should never kill in war for any reason. But I believe the answer to this question, is it ever right to kill, is yes, there are times it is right. There are times it's the right thing to do. Always as a last resort. But there are times that killing is justified. Let me just share this with you from Ecclesiastes 3. The wisest man who ever lived wrote this besides Jesus, obviously. The, the, the wisest uh, uh, man who ever lived apart from Christ wrote th these words. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Verse number two, a time to die. Verse number three, a time to kill. Verse number eight, a time for war. Now, in an ideal world, this verse would, would not be true. And someday we will have an ideal world when Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom upon this planet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, 
you'll have to make sure you make it to every Sunday of our fall campaign because we're going to be talking about prophecy. What in the world is going on? We're going to be talking about what God is bringing to pass in the world, what his, Bible, what his word says about this, and we're going to kick it all off with that great Hollywood blockbuster left behind. It's going to be shown here in the church, so that's coming up in October. You're going to want to be a part of that. But there's coming a time when Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on this planet, and when that happens, uh, Ecclesiastes 3 will not be true any longer. There will no longer be a time to die. He's going to, he's going to reverse all of that. But until that happens, there's going to be death, there's going to be killing, there's going to be war, and with war usually comes death. The King James translation of the Hebrew in Exodus 20, 13 is really unfortunate. And, and I only say unfortunate, it was, it was fine for 400 years ago when the King James Bible was translated. It was the first English Bible. Um, but the word kill has, has morphed in our world today, and we think of things differently than the way they thought 400 years ago. And so I say it's unfortunate by our way of thinking today because it has given us the idea that killing is never acceptable for any reason, and that it's never acceptable to God, but that's just not true. What God is saying is best translated in other English translations as you must not murder. In fact, in, I checked every single English translation that I, that I own personally, and in every other translation other than the King James that uses the word kill, a murder instead of kill. The Hebrew word means to not kill. First of all, I want you to notice a human being. Here we go. It means not killing a human being. It means not killing without cause. That is for a very, very good reason. Even through carelessness or negligence. So let me put that together. We are not to kill human beings without cause, that is without a very good reason, even through carelessness or negligence. So God is telling us that we never resort to murder no matter how angry we become. And we even have an obligation to look out for the safety and the welfare of others. That's why this is part of the relational aspect of society. I have an obligation to look out for your safety. So we do everything we can that we can think of in this building to make it as safe for you to come into as we possibly can. Now there's a few places in the sanctuary here where I wouldn't want to be if there was a tremor. I won't tell you where those places are, but there are a few places out there, um, and I'm glad I don't sit out there. But no, I'm just kidding you. Uh, there's no place that you have to worry about that. We have, we have made it as absolutely secure and safe as we possibly can. But we have this obligation under the mandate of God about killing, about murder, about the taking of human life, to be concerned about the safety and the welfare of others. And so if I dig a hole, I have an obligation to think to myself, could someone fall into this hole and hurt themselves or even kill themselves? If so, I either need to fill the hole, hole back in, 
or I need to put a top over the hole so nobody falls into it, or I don't dig the hole in the first place. Does that make sense? I have an obligation to your safety and to think about that. And if I am careless about this, what God is saying in this commandment is that I should be held responsible because I have an obligation to think of others, not just myself. Does that make sense? I have an obligation to think about the greater good, not just about me. God wants us to honor life as sacred and to not take it lightly, to not take it thoughtlessly. And if we have to take it, we only do so under very restrictive circumstances. We do not kill for no reason. So I have known people in the past who have killed for sport and have left the, the carcass laying in the field for the buzzards. And I believe that we will be held accountable before God if we abuse animals. I think this has implication to all of life. Now, having said that, is it ever right to kill animals? Yes. If we're talking about self-defense, if I've got a big grizzly bear bearing down on me and I've got the means in my hands to put an end to it, you can bet I am not going to pray for five minutes to ask God whether or not I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to take that gun out and I'm going to take it to the bear and I'm going to, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to put an end to his life. Now, if I'm with you and we don't have a gun, we're going to run. And even if I can't outrun the bear, as long as I can outrun you, that's all that matters. As long as I outrun you. So it's right to kill animals for protection. It would also be right, in my opinion, to kill animals for food. In fact, God told Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 13, he says, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. God told that. It's New Testament, everything. But, but killing for no reason is wrong. Is it ever right then to take a human life? Again, I believe the answer is yes. When the, when the circumstances of their offense are so great that justice is only served through their death, I believe it is justified. And there are times in war when a soldier must take the life of an enemy. And this is acceptable before God. But murder is never acceptable because it dishonors the God of life and it is an act against the God who created life. It is an act of premeditation, premeditated evil, and will be judged by God. I want to wrap this up with one last question about killing. Is murder just a physical act that is committed? Is it just an act of physical violence? I believe God's word teaches that murder or killing can be more than just the taking of a human life. Two scriptures jump to my mind right here. And the first one is given in James chapter 4, where he writes, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. He goes on to say, and some of you still don't get it when you ask because you're asking, King James here, amiss, you're asking out of the will of God. You're asking for something that isn't God's will, so you still don't get it. Or maybe you're asking with poor motives, wrong motives, and therefore you don't get it. But we'll just, we'll, we'll end it here on verse 2. He says, you don't, because you don't ask God for it. Now, looking back over those two verses, you're going to see all this conflict language that's giving, given in these two verses. Verse 1, quarrels and fights. Verse 2 talks about killing, fighting, waging war. And we think, well, James is probably talking about some nation, you know, over in the Middle East somewhere, fighting another nation in the Middle East somewhere, over there somewhere. But James isn't writing these words to nations. And he's not writing these words to the world in general. He's writing them to Christians. He's writing these scriptures to people in the church. That's why I said the commandment applies to us as believers and our relationship with one another's believers. And this is how it applies. He's saying you and the church are fighting each other and you wage war against each other through what you say and how you act towards one another. And you'll notice in verse 2 he says you even kill each other. Well, I haven't killed anybody lately. You know, um, it's been at least a couple years, you know, so I don't know how you could say that. Is that what James talking about? Is James here talking about people showing up to church and ah, grabbing the throat of somebody else and killing them right there in a spot? There, you dirty booger, I got you finally, you know. Of course not. He was trying to get their attention, and so he's using sh strong and, and powerful language to tell them how serious this whole issue is. Killing is not just a matter of physical uh, violence. You can kill somebody's reputation. That's why God opposes gossip so much. It kills the reputation of another individual. That's what I think James is talking about here. It was happening in the churches of, J of James's day and time, and it, and it happens in the church today. We put one another down. We destroy the reputations of others that we don't agree with. We make them look bad because we're angry at them for something. Or we disagree with some, some aspect of their life or something that they've said. And we see it in families, of course, all the time. A husband talks down about his wife to other men. Or he talks down about his wife to other women. Or a wife talks down about her husband to other women or to other men. I've heard it so many times. So have you. A, a guy will refer to his wife as the old lady. And far worse than that. I want you to know I've never called this woman the old lady. For one thing, she's younger than I am. <laughs> and that says a lot about me if she's the old lady, you know. But I would never dishonor her that way. I would never refer to her that way. I remember the time when I was a kid and I decided I was going to call my mom woman. 
I said, hey, woman. <laughs> well, what's the big deal, you know? <laughs> Boy, my dad let me know what a big deal it was. You know, but we dishonor one another within families. Kids do the same about their parents. Happens in business. Employees talk about their boss or other employees at work. It's personality assassination. But God says, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not denigrate the reputation, the character of others. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And it's one of the ways we honor God is by honoring other people. Years ago, this church, and, and I partic in particular, took a stand against the street preachers that denigrate the Mormon people when they're going into their conferences. And we made a public declaration about it, on camera, everything. And Doug Wright from KSL Radio called me up the next day and interviewed me on, on the telephone and said, why would you do such a thing? And I said, because I believe that even though I do not believe in Mormonism, and I do not believe it's the true church. Even though that is true, God has made Mormon people in his image. He is, a, they, they are an extension of his life grace. They deserve the dignity and value of all human beings. We are not to treat them the way they're being treated by these street preachers. And I stand against it, and I still stand against it. You know, it, it's part of the, the way we honor God is the way we honor people we disagree with. I may disagree with the homosexual agenda. I may disagree with the, what the Supreme Court has, has done recently. But we still treat people with honor and dignity and value. We treat them with love because that's what Jesus would do, right? We don't have to agree with everybody with whom we are kind. We can, we can disagree fundamentally about lifestyle choices, but we still love people. And sometimes it takes the grace of God to do that. In fact, it always takes the grace of God to do that very thing. But we are, we are called by God to give, uh, to give great value to the character and the dignity of other people. A second verse, let me wrap up real quickly with this, is John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at his heart. And you know that murderers don't have, excuse me, don't have eternal life within them. So James is talking about killing or murdering speech. John here is talking about the heart of an individual. So we think of killing as an act, and obviously killing is an act. But God is clear that it goes beyond just an act. We can have murder in our hearts towards other people, and that's just as serious to God as the act itself. Sometimes people wound us deeply, and we can get so angry and so bitter in our spirits. And we say, you know, if you knew what, I went, what I've been through with that person, and you're right. It's terrible what happened to you, and you're wounded deeply. King David of Israel felt that way. He was wounded uh, deeply by people too, and, and in several of the Psalms, he talks about his feelings. Psalm 58 is one of those Psalms where he's been deeply wounded by someone, and this is his response. Break off their fangs, O God. Smash! 
the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground. May they be like snails that dissolve into a slime. Make them a slug, oh God. Just let, let me just step on them and crush them. Those are his true feelings. You ever felt like that? Sure you have. We all have. It's human. But those feelings will destroy you if you don't handle them right. Let me share with you two ways that David handled these right handled this right in his life that's just given in these, this scripture. Number one, he brought his anger to God. You know, our problem is we, we bring it to everybody else and we don't bring it to God. Don't go around Fred right now, man. He's angry, you know. He's blowing off again. You know, the kids all run, you know, because they know that dad's mad, mom's mad, you know. We, and do we have a right to be angry? Of course we do. We were wronged. We were hurt. But instead of bringing it to other people, we take it to God. That's the thing you've got to learn to do. But the devil will tell you, well, it's a, they, these are unholy feelings, so I can't take them to God because God will really be, be upset with me if he knows I have these feelings. Listen, he knows you have the feelings anyway. Fess up to it. Re take it to him because what will ha happen is God can handle it first of all and he'll heal it if you keep bringing your anger to God he will heal your heart so that's the beautiful thing the second thing David did was he let God handle the outcome the situation uh, the end of it all so after he vented he turned it over to God and he didn't take matters into his own hands in other words David didn't kill through his confession to God, he got a healed heart. And because of that, not only was his heart made right, but God then blessed him by making him the king of Israel. So I don't know what pain others may have caused you, but killing them by act or word is not the answer. Every one of us need to follow David's example here. We need to bring our pain and our hurt our anger to God, and we need to leave it there with him. Instead of saying, I've got I've to make sure that these people get hurt in the same way they've hurt me, we let God handle it. We give it to him. Let him take care of the outcome. That's the way to handle your anger. It brings healing to your spirit. This is what I want you to hear. Not only are you healed inside, but oftentimes it brings promotion to you. You handle it right. God has promised in Isaiah chapter 7, I believe verse 6, that for every offense that we have endured in life, if we will handle them right, he will reward us back doubly for every offense, for every pain, for every hurt. I will reward you in double. Did you hear that? I will reward you in double for the pain that you've experienced in your life, if you'll handle the pain right. So maybe it's time this morning to turn it over to Jesus. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.